0: Hi, this is Hillary Crowley, and welcome to the Good Energy Healing Show. Um, today, we're looking into a term called compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. What is compassion fatigue? Um, have you ever left a really long voice message for somebody, and you're maybe driving down the road and you leave a message, you go into quite a bit of detail, and all of a sudden it goes beep your call has been deleted or your message has been deleted? Um, that kind of happened with the podcast that I'm doing right now because, um, but I'm deleting it myself. Uh, two days ago, I did a podcast and it went on for quite a while and was about compassion fatigue. And I certainly got to some good points, but when I listened to it um, before I was able to post it up to iTunes, I was thinking, I need to re record this voice message um, because compassion fatigue. Is a very, very personal piece, and it can go very deep into um, my memories of times that I've had compassion fatigue. It's, it, it can look a lot like exhaustion. Um, it can sometimes feel like anxiety, depression, um, but it's actually a situationally based uh, reaction to your environment. And I'm speaking to those folks in healthcare right now because compassion fatigue by definition is the indifference to suffering caused by overexposure to suffering. So the indifference to suffering caused by the overexposure to suffering. And if you can think about it that way, um, you can understand that um, that would be kind of built into the job description. Because if I'm having a day at home, I might be exposed to somebody's suffering, um, once or twice a day, and certainly it would be somebody that I know, and I would be able to manage it. But if you're in healthcare, let's just put you right into the hotbed of the ER. Your job description is to be exposed to suffering. your Your job is to be triaging people as they come in the door and um, responding to that appropriately. and by appropriately, it means that you're not getting completely entangled in every single story that walks in the door, but you're literally triaging it, trying to figure out how you can be helpful. Um, I love words so much. And I want to, um, we we talk a lot about compassion and culture lately, especially in the holistic world. But also um, a lot is talked about in the, among like social workers. Um, I work with um, kids from uh, neglect and abuse situation. So, in order to work through their bad behavior, so I guess you could say this is even in the educational world, you you meet them with compassion, and um, that word is just you know really really ripe right now as we build out our heart space to understand trauma, um, to understand each other, um, to build a healthier society. But I'm into the etymology, the history of words. And the etymology of compassion is based in um, Latin, and it actually means, it comes from uh, compati, which is to suffer with. So compassion is to suffer with. Um, And in this world of based on belief in suffering, that can be even on a subconscious, collective conscious level, compassion um, can, can bring about fatigue. Um, because are we really truly supposed to be suffering with everybody along the way? And more importantly, what are we doing to show up for our patients and show up for our, in my case, clients, um, show up for our neighbors and our friends and our family without suffering with them? Um, in a way that it would deplete us to the point where we no longer can have that sense of empathy, love, sympathy, and connection. Compassion fatigue. So today's podcast is about what is compassion compassion fatigue and and naming it. I think this is one of those beautiful terms that once you name it, you say, oh, oh, I see what's going on here. So one of the, things to think about when you think about um compassion fatigue is to think about uh, burnout um am i burnt out because i'm giving 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 okay yeah but what happens on the other side of the burnout i looked up through the wellness society some of the signs of um compassion fatigue and they are everything they physical exhaustion sleeplessness um Inability to um, empathize, um, sympathize with other people's pain, um, a disconnectedness—you um, know—basic signs of burnout. But where I'm interested in talking about this is that I happen to believe in energy medicine that the human connection that we may make has a medicinal quality to it. And if you work in medicine, if you work in healthcare, and you have compassion fatigue then your body is naturally no longer connecting to the person who needs you in the room, who's sitting across from you um, asking for your help because you were long, long, long ago um, subscribed to the normalizing of compassion fatigue. Um, So I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that. Uh, One of the things I think that might be going on with compassion fatigue is our um, history of medicine and a history of uh, our war. So going to war in medicine and training folks to be able to absolutely conduct themselves in a professional manner. I kind of think of the uh, MASH, you know, the show MASH, which I, I, I feel like everybody knows MASH, but that's ridiculous because it hasn't even been on the air for 30 years, but it was, it ran for 10 years And, uh, it took place, um, in a medics, um, camp where they would receive incoming soldiers. And there was a lot of humor, um, and there was a lot of seriousness to it. And there was a lot of honesty. And these, um, famous character played by Alan Alda, these, um, medics would try to just fight off compassion fatigue. I think there were many, many episodes about it. But the reality is is that life is not a sitcom called MASH and uh, being a war medic is not at all um, a sitcom at all. And um, I have a feeling that there's a possibility that the medical training, at least in the United States, started to prepare the doctors and nurses in their training. And I've even heard about it through the naturopathic doctors where it's just sleep deprivation. Pushing, 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 and not uh, looking at self-care for the actual providers or the healthcare, uh, pa- the, patient, the, the students, the medical students, are not getting anything to stave off compassion fatigue, because it's it's considered part of the culture. Because when you have compassion fatigue, you have a disconnect, and that disconnect could be really valuable in a war zone because you're just seeing one traumatic injury after another. Um, so what I wanted to do is kind of put a little bit of cultural context and permission to say, wait a minute, I don't want to live like I'm in a war zone anymore because we know now enough about how our own bodies work that we want to be able to handle difficult situations and be present with the people who are coming to us for care. So um, again, I really am speaking to my, um, my friends in the healthcare industry and I wanted to talk a little bit about how quickly I saw compassion fatigue move in for me. I was young, I was about 19 years old, and I was working at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. And my job was to be a nurse's aide, and I was put right behind the front desk and told how to read the board, which would light up when anybody in the room, in their room, um, asks for help. And then it was in the late 80s. So it would be, um, I don't know what the boards look like right now, but I guarantee they're probably not even boards. They're on a computer now, but the light would go off next to the room number. So my very first day there, I noticed there was one room in particular and the light would go off all the time. For some reason, I have it in my mind. It's number six. I mean, it's funny how we remember things when they impact us. I think it was room number six. And uh the light would go off all the time, like every two minutes. And I responded to it. Um, I would well, first of all, I would ask a nurse to respond, and then when the nurse w- wouldn't be available to respond, I would walk down there quickly and check in and then go back to my position at the desk and tell, of course, and all of you nurses out there know what you're gonna say. They were like, you can't do that, you can't leave the desk to respond. To this, I was 19 it was my first day you can't respond to this room number six and I said why not I mean this person is in distress and they said yeah every day hitting the button all the time every day but I forgot to add if I didn't I was on a pediatrics ward so this person was a child and I was 19 years old and I was not a child I was you know 19 and I remembered being a child but I was not a child so um I had, a, I had a lot of, I guess you would say, healthy compassion fresh from, you know, fresh from you know, the school. It was a summer job for me, and I was really interested. Well, I didn't respond to that call after a while, and the button kept hitting and hitting and hitting, and eventually I became, within a week, I became um, the person who knew that when room number six rings the bell, it's not a real call. Um, and that it was just a call for attention or uh, a need. Um, so so that wasn't my only story um, from that experience, um, but that was my first layer of compassion fatigue taught to me. The next layer of compassion fatigue um, came from uh, soon into it, there was uh, a child down who was having a, a, a spinal um, fluids uh, being extracted. And that's a very painful procedure or it was a very painful procedure. I don't know how painful it is now if they've managed it better, but they would go bring the child into a um, soundproof room because there was no expectation that the child would actually not be in pain. Um, And the soundproof room wasn't even enough. And so I of course could not be present for that level of witnessing that level of pain, even from down the hall. And, and I, uh, I got very, very upset. I think I cried. Um, I asked the nurses for some uh, insight or help or support, and they just basically said, You know, it's going to be over soon and it has to happen. And I said, But doc, doesn't this upset you? And they're like, You get used to it after a while. And I'm like, thinking the child doesn't get used to it. This is awful. So I was witnessing pain, um, and I didn't have the tools. So then, boom my compassion fatigue kicks up another time because, you know, this is a regular procedure. And by the fourth or fifth time, I'm probably the one who can give the advice to the next new kid that says, yeah, just, you know, it passes. Don't worry about it. Um, Then there was a particular crisis where um, I was at the front desk and uh, there had been a situation that required Um, confidentiality because the news media was getting involved. Um, There had been a car accident and they asked me to answer the phones and say, we have no comment. And I knew nothing about the incident. So I was the perfect kid for the job because there was no bluffing. (laughs) There was no worry of anything um, confidential sneaking out because I had no information. But through the reporter's questions, as I was getting them off the phone, I slowly got more information. And the um, my understanding uh, in hindsight was that um, a child, a, a teenager about 16 or 17 years old was going to wake up from a car accident and learn that they were the driver and their passenger had, uh, in fact, passed away. So um, none of this could leak out. And it was highly, highly, highly sensitive information. And um, I just saw like this, this lack of compassion from the people calling in just kind of wanting the news story. And um, I saw myself um, having to harden my heart in the in the name of uh, blocking these folks out. And the story wasn't my story in this case until it was. Because the next piece of this was that the car accident was serious and the person in question who was waking up was going to wake up and find out that they were going to need an amputation of one of their limbs. And again, I'm being exposed to way too much information without the correct training at a young age. But I do think that this is why we we take jobs so we can uh, get real um, life lessons And they had asked me to, um, she was in distress and they asked me to stand by this um, patient of the hospital and um, just stand there to make sure um, nobody else approaches. And every part of my body wanted to comfort or discuss, um, um, relate you know, I had that natural compassion, the compati to suffer with, but I was under strict orders to not engage. And now that I know, you know, decades later, who I was becoming, I'm grateful for that moment. And I'm also really um, compassionate to myself for that moment, because I was struggling deeply with what my role was, because my instinct was to bring comfort. And um, that wasn't the, that wasn't, the object that wasn't the job that I had. I After that incident, I really could feel how easy it is to hit a, a shutoff switch and how my job was simply to go through the motions while working in a hospital. Um, I could go through a couple more incidences. One was uh, my job was to hold a child and keep them awake to get to get them through the sleep clinic, so they have to stay awake now so they'll sleep in the sleep c- clinic. But you tell me when you're held when you're nineteen years old and somebody holds you, hands you the most adorable two-year-old who just wants to snuggle up under your ear. Like tuck their head into your neck. And you just hold them because they're holding you and they just want to go to sleep. And you can just feel the calmness of their body wanting to go to sleep and then have the nurse walk by and say, don't let that baby sleep. You got you to gotta just kind of bounce and play with the child, not never shaking the baby, never shaking the baby. Just making that really clear to all the listeners, but just kind of bouncing the baby and keeping it. But it's just like the head and just want to go to sleep. And even as I say it, I can remember... Um, that the, 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 the desire and the hunger for sleep that this child had, I know that in the bigger picture, the sleep, um, I think it had to do with seizures. So the sleep clinic was extremely important for the health of this child. But again, I could see how this built in to me, um, the, 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 the process of if this went on for more than the summer that I had this job, I could see how I could have deep, deep, deep compassion fatigue. Um, so I tell all these stories mostly to, to be as relatable as possible. Hopefully for those of you who don't work in healthcare, you can understand how your, your healthcare providers can have compassion fatigue. Do you know what their day looks like? It's incredible. Um, but also to the healthcare providers, I want to reach out and say, like here are some ways that maybe we can just be aware of it so that it's not, oh, I'm just over it with, you know, the next five clients I'm gonna see, or why am I so tired or why am I so agitated?" or this isn't me. This isn't this isn't who I started out to be. I'm not a cranky person. You're not a cranky person. Compassion fatigue is a real condition that comes when you've been overexposed to too much suffering. It's a natural, natural boundary that goes up. To protect you and protect your nervous system from taking on too much suffering. So, how can we be there and be present and care without taking on the suffering of others? How can I ask that again? How can we be present and care without taking on the suffering of others? Because when we can't find that happy middle ground, our jobs suffer. I had another time that I experienced compassion fatigue outside of healthcare. And I don't think you'll be surprised to know that it was when I was working in media. So there is no uh, pre-qualification to caring about other people to work in media. Media is about enjoying the storytelling process and um, being able to get the news out to people. So when we when we look at... Um, when we look at being in the media, we have deadlines. We have uh, to get, you know, to our. We have to get to, uh, you know, the, out on the screen you got to get the stories and the pictures and everything working together. And there's nothing worse than uh, not having enough material. That actually is the goal. You want to have enough material to produce a show. This is also thirty years ago. So you want to have enough material to produce a show, um, to have a nice half an hour news segment. And if there's not enough material, that actually is um, distressing. So when something bad happens in the news, they get more material. And by definition, the job becomes easier. Hmm. Hmm. Right? You following me? So when something bad happens, you kind of get a little bit of a boost. So that's a different kind of compassion fatigue where you hear about a tragedy and you go, oh, my job just got easier. So media people have to watch out for compassion fatigue too. That is very also much built into their job description. Here's my thing. I actually think that the short answer, I'm going to leave a shorter voicemail today than I did on my first recording. I think the short answer is that you have to be comfortable with connection. In order to be comfortable with connection, you have to be comfortable with love. And you have to start with self-care for yourself, which is to say, how am I doing right now? Do I need to take a breath? What are my needs that need to be met so that I can meet the needs of the other person? I know this is an overuse metaphor, but we talk about it with the airplane putting the the, the oxygen mask over you first before you put it over the person who needs the oxygen but can't get the mask on themselves. There's a very good reason for that training. And they repeat it every single flight you'll ever take. It's because if you don't have enough oxygen, you actually could make a mistake and not even have the wherewithal to get the mask on the next person. So don't try to rescue people if you haven't made sure that you're caring for yourself. And is that taught in medical school? Is it taught how to really, really care for yourself? I love um, the book Clean by. Alejandro Unger, Dr. Alejandro Unger out of Columbia University. Um, his book is really well known now. and I don't know if he's still practicing at Columbia University because he's become become so successful, but he talks for at least two chapters about how he was not taught um, how to care for himself in medical school. So as he was helping other people and becoming a cardiologist, he was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Those are his words in his book. So yeah, let's just acknowledge the fact that you are going to be a better caregiver, a better provider, a better healthcare expert when you take that time to make a connection with yourself. And um, compassion fatigue, I think, can be one of the greatest wounds because you have lost your ability to create healthy boundaries and your body has gone ahead and created the boundaries for you and it's kind of like a hardened heart i think that's my best way of describing it it's a block in the heart rather than a healthy boundary and this is going to sound counterintuitive if we want to think about the you know sort of the, the rudimentary concept of heart energy and love but until we understand that by going into the heart that actually creates the strongest boundary, like really taking a moment and breathing deeply and saying, I'm noticing that what I'm feeling right now is making me feel anxious or I'm nervous about this next patient because I don't know if I have all the answers. And you know what? Good self-care thinking, good thought habits around this says, I have maybe not the answers, but I will help to find the resources including, and this is the work that I love so much, the resources in the patient themselves. So um, as we look at healthy boundaries and focusing on the heart space of the person in front of you who needs you, I think that's where we, we begin to heal this um, culture in healthcare of compassion fatigue and that it's not a badge of honor to have a hardened heart. And if you notice that you're zipping through your day, and you're not feeling as much as you used to feel, watch out for that, because feeling is healthy. It's a it's a measurable terrain that you can walk through in your day. It gives you texture. It gives you something to respond to. It's a, it's a sign of emotional intelligence, and allowing yourself to just um, work on the healthy boundaries which says, I cannot do all of this for this person, but what I can do is um, be present, to actually being present. So uh, that's all I have to say about compassion fatigue. Just go ahead and uh, acknowledge it. Name it. You know, you're going to have more compassion fatigue if you haven't had a break in a long time. You're going to have more compassion fatigue if you've stacked up your schedule. You're going to have more compassion fatigue if you've stacked up your schedule and according to your administrative and health insurance and all these other pressures on you, you have less time to make the connection with the person across from you. This is not a war zone. And for those of you who are listening who might be in war zones, it still matters to take time and to take that breath and be present. Because that will give you the healthy boundaries that you need, which will allow you to present yourself in a healthy way to the person who may be sick or injured and in need of you. Because I think one of the the things about naming compassion fatigue is that when you don't name it, everyone else sees it around you. Most importantly, your patients, And you can become blind to the lack of healing, the lack of bedside manner, the lack of grace and kindness to, you can become blind to what you're, you're, you're not bringing into the room anymore. You're not bringing into the exam room or the surgical theater. So, um, that's compassion fatigue. Take a moment, notice how it plays out in your life, whether you work in healthcare or in education or in the media, Um, look at it, um, from a family role, like how you play your different roles? Are you being compassionate towards your parent or your child? Um, are you being compassionate to your friends? And if you're not, it just means that you're getting inundated with too much information around suffering and other suffering and take a moment and stop the suffering in your own heart and notice how strong and beautifully you reset. This is Hillary Crowley. Thank you so much for tuning into the Good Energy Healing Show. We are on iTunes, so please like and subscribe. And uh, I hope this was a good vocabulary lesson for you today. Compassion fatigue be gone. Let's bring back the compassion. Let's bring back the, the kindness. And let's release um, this toughness that we're, we're putting on ourselves and on our world. And just go out there and keep doing our best. Have a beautiful day, and I'll catch you the next time.